Well, I want to alert you to something this morning that you might not be aware of and you might not even be willing to admit, but we should all know that each and one of us, every one of us, is a, a slave. And I didn't misspeak. Every single one of us is, in fact, a slave. Or if you prefer the term servant, you can use that too. We are all slaves and servants. Now, this is probably disappointing to a number of us. We love our freedoms, and this is probably clear as displayed to me as of recent in the mask mandates. We also don't like to be thought of lowly, but instead we would prefer to climb the social ladder to be better than our neighbors. So we don't want to be slaves. We don't want to be servants. We don't want to be thought of in any lowly position. And yet our Lord taught us that if anyone would be first... He must be last of all and servants of all, Mark 9.35. And so we need to understand, especially for those in the church, that we are servants. We are God's slaves. And to be identified as a slave might be controversial in our day and even more so. To be willing to become a servant has always been countercultural But don't let the offense of this position of a slave keep you from rightly seeing yourself in this position. The most prominent figures in the Bible are all called slaves. In the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and even King David were at various times called servants or slaves of the Lord. And even in the New Testament, the apostles, Paul, James, Peter and Jude all self-identify as being servants. That's how at least it's rendered in our ESV Bible. But more literally, they call themselves slaves of Christ. So Jesus said that the first would be last, the greatest would be the servant. And even here in the church, this is so clearly demonstrated even in the structures of leadership. We have two kinds of leaders in the church. There's deacons and elders. And the deacons... Quite literally, deacon means servant. And in 2 Timothy 2, the pastor even is called a slave. This word slave, especially in the New Testament, is the word doulos. And in the ESV, we see it oftentimes translated as servant. Or in our text, in the ESV, it's going to be bond servant. But make no mistake about it, the word means slave. And in our text this morning, Paul is going to be addressing the relationships between these bond servants and the ESV, or the slaves and their masters. So the term slave can be especially offensive to our modern ears. And so for the sake of not causing us to stumble too much over this term, I'm going to primarily use the word servant, but if I switch back and forth between slave and servant, understand, I'm just saying the same thing. And uh, before we get into our text this morning, let me just lay out the context ever so briefly. Colossians, the theme of this book is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. The message is that Jesus is over and above all things. Nothing compares to him in all creation. And so after having laid this foundation for two chapters, here in chapter 3, Paul now shifts his focus to the Christian life that is built upon the foundation of the supremacy of Christ. Verses 1-17, through 17, Paul gives us this bird's eye view of, of this Christian life. He lists these vices that we're to put off, and then afterwards he lists the virtues that the Christian is to put on. 
And then in verse 18, what Tate preached last week, he shifts from bringing these lofty ideas down to the ground by showing us most clearly how these virtues apply to the life of the Christian in the sphere of the family. And so we learned how the Christian ethic affects the homes, especially the relationships between wives and husbands. Paul wrote that in verse 18 and 19, wives are to submit to their husbands as fitting in the Lord. And the husbands are to love their wives and not to be harsh with them. That's the relationship with husbands and wives. And then after that, he talks about the relationship between children and their parents, and then especially the fathers he focuses on. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then he shifts. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And so, take cover of those relationships last week in the home, and this week, he lists one more relationship of a subordinate and the one to whom they are going to obey. And that's the, the servant, the slave, and then their master. Now, a note on slavery. According to one resource, the Roman population comprised of one-third slaves. And so it's likely that Paul's audience there in Colossae would have been comprised of a lot of slaves. In fact, we know of one particular slave and his master from this letter and another letter we have in the New Testament. The slave's name is Onesimus, and his master, you'll know his name because we have a book of the Bible that has his name in it, Philemon. And we're going to be learning more about these two soon, as Tate's going to be preaching through this entire letter to Philemon here in just about a month, but that's for another day. For today, we need to at least recognize that slavery was a part of Roman society, and under Roman law, these slaves were treated like property. Slaves had little to no right over their owner, and the owner could even kill their slaves with little to no consequences. And so while the first two relationships here in the home are those that are instituted by God, those relationships of husbands and wives and children and their fathers, slavery here in this text this morning was not instituted by God. But instead, slavery was created by sinful men. 1 Timothy 10, 1.10, excuse me, even speaks against those who would enslave other people. So, I don't want you to misunderstand anything that's going on here in this text. Slavery is evil and wicked. And much more can be said about slavery, but that's not for us today, because that's really not what this text is primarily about This is talking about the relationships between the slave and the master. More close to home for us today, we should be asking, what in the world does this text have to do with us? We don't have slaves, and we aren't masters who own other people. So how in the world can this be applicable to us? Is it even applicable to us? Well, yes, absolutely it is. While we are not slaves, nor are we masters over other people in the same sense that is being addressed here in the letter to the Colossian church, many of us do have a similar relationship with employees and employers. Not that we're their property, but what's being addressed here can just as well be applied to us in that situation just as well. Or even for kids. Maybe kids in the room, they don't have jobs, but you probably do chores around the house or do your schoolwork. And so in the same sense, you might be able to apply parts of this text to your work in those areas. Or even a stay-at-home mom who has 
a 24-7 job, you too are working, and so you can draw some applications from this text to where it applies even in your life, and even those who are retired, you can draw something here all the same. I'm going to start right in the center of the text in verses 23 and 24, and I think you'll see immediately how this applies to you. Paul says this, whatever you do, there's a pretty broad statement, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Here's the main point of today's text. I want us to know that Jesus is our master. Jesus is Lord. Those two statements are exactly the same. If Jesus is Lord, what we are confessing is that Jesus is our master. And so understand that last line there in verse 24, that last sentence, when he says, you are serving the Lord Christ, what he is saying is, you are a servant, a, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the master. In fact, that word serving is just the, the verb form of the, the noun, doulos, that I talked about earlier. It's the verb form of that word slave. And that word lord as well that we use so often to, to talk about who Jesus is, that he is lord, is also the exact same word as the word master that's found throughout this passage. In fact, the word lord plural in some places, and then when it's talking about our heavenly master, our heavenly Lord, is singular, but the word Lord is used seven times in total, whether it's translated as master or Lord in the, the ESV text, but it's the exact same word. So I want us to know this. I want us to recognize that Jesus Christ is our master. He is Lord, and we are serving him in everything that we do. Now, we often have this aversion to authority because oftentimes authorities are associated with abuse. And to be fair, this is often true, even in the context of our scripture as well, as it's gone through the authority structure of the home, husbands, fathers, and now masters. Every single time, the husband and the father and the master, who's probably the same person in the home, is told not to be harsh not to provoke children, and to be fair towards their servants. And the reason these commands are given is because authority is so often abused. But our aversion to authority goes farther back than sinful husbands, fathers, and masters. It goes all the way back to the fall, when our parents rejected the authority of God's word. And we, when they rejected God's word, or even when we reject God's word today, it is not because God is a cruel master. No, when they rejected God's word, they were rejecting God as their master. In fact, even in the text in Genesis 3, it says they wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. They wanted to turn things upside down. They didn't want to submit to God, but they wanted to be like God. So the issue of rejecting authority comes from our fathers and mothers way, 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 way back at the very beginning. We need to know this about Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is not an abusive master. So let's consider what kind of master the Lord Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ, first and foremost, as we've seen all over the place in Colossians, he is the ruler of all. 
You see that all over this letter. You see it throughout the Gospels. We see that sickness, storms, Satan's demons, everything under creation is under Christ's supreme, sovereign control. And make no mistake about it, even the kings and kingdoms of the earth are subject to him. As Proverbs 21 says, the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. It's the language of a, a farmer who can, who can draw canals and draw streams of water to help plant his, his uh, water, excuse me, his, his harvest, his plants. So too, the king's heart, his very will, can be turned by God wherever the Lord wills. Jesus Christ is the supreme ruler over all. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And yet, in all of this, we also know this of Jesus Christ. He is a servant king. Jesus Christ, he is the master who serves. As we see in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, though Jesus Christ was in the form of God, Though he was high and lifted up, above all rule and all authority, though he was in the form of God, he did, not account, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. There's that word again. It's the word slave that we have in our text. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The king of glory, who is the owner and ruler over all things, took the most humble position that one could possibly take. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or as Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, excuse me, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, he paid the price for our sins that we could never repay. So if you associate the word master and Lord with domineering abuse, well then you need a better understanding of what kind of master Jesus is. Yes, he's the sovereign master and the ruler of all, and yet he is a humble and kind master. You see, I want, to, I want us to understand that authority is not always bad, especially when it is authority that is given by God and is used according to His will. And not all masters are cruel. This can even be true, true in, in human masters. We see this in the book of Exodus. Exodus 21, the Lord gives Israel these laws about how they are to treat their slaves and he gives instructions that on the, the seventh year, this year of Jubilee, the slaves were to be set free. But there was an exception to this rule. In Exodus 21, 5 and 6, it says this, But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God and shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an owl, and he shall be his slave forever. Understand what's being described there. He's describing a slave who would much rather serve his master than to go free. Because the slave knows that the master is good. And the slave knows that serving the master is not burdensome. And the slave knows that if anything, it is better to be in the house of his master than to be apart from the master. 
And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a good master. And serving Him is not burdensome. And if anything, being a slave of Christ brings every blessing to us that would want us to remain with Him as His servants forevermore. Here now, two reasons from our text that show us why being a servant of Jesus Christ is in fact so good. Look at verse 23 to 24. Whenever you, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And here's a good motive for us to work for the Lord heartily. He says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Understand what, what's going on here. Paul is telling us that Jesus will reward faithful servants. Now this word rewards, some of us probably have some kind of aversion to it. When we see the word reward, we kind of think, ah, that's, that's anti-gospel because we're saved by grace through faith alone and any kind of reward would somehow contradict that. And to be clear, we should be cautious about the concept of a reward that contradicts justification by faith alone. So if that's what you hear when you hear the word reward and you're thinking that we're, we're somehow earning salvation, that's not what we're talking about here. But we also need to understand that the concept of being rewarded for faithfulness to God is biblical. Listen to Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please the Lord. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8, Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who love his appearing. And again, in Matthew 25, the master said to the servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So understand what's happening here in Colossians 3.23. This is the, the inheritance, the reward that we will receive for those who work heartily for the Lord, not for men. But notice there's another word here. It's not just a reward. It's also an inheritance. You see, Paul, for just a moment, leaves the imagery of, of a slave and now shows the intimate imagery of a son who receives far more than a mere payment from a master, but he receives an inheritance from his father. You know that a son is far different than a slave. Everything that belongs to the father does not go to the son, or to the slave, excuse me, but it goes to the son. And so understand what's happening. We are more than slaves. We are sons and children of God. Galatians 4, 7, you are no longer a slave, Paul tells us, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. John 8, 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. Talking again about that year of Jubilee, he gets set free, and yet the son remains forever. We have been adopted into the Lord's family. It's one thing to serve a master, but it's another thing when you get to serve your master who is your father. And what is the reward for those who are faithful? What is that inheritance? It is all the riches that belong to Christ. With Christ, we, we know that there is no more death, 
There shall be no more mourning. There shall be no more crying or pain anymore. Revelation 21.4. In Christ's presence, it's not just the absence of these things, but Psalm 16 tells us there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We need to understand the best that the world has to offer doesn't even come close to comparing to all the riches that are found in Christ. And for this reason, Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So we need to understand who our master is, who who our our king and lord is. He is a kind king. He is a, a faithful king who rewards those who are faithful. But we must also understand this about our master. He is also a master who is just. Listen to verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be, excuse me, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. I want us to understand just as well, yes, it's true that he is a kind master who we should be happy to serve, but also Jesus, he, he will punish the wicked. He will punish those servants who do not do that which he has called them to do. He is an impartial judge. Which means that whoever you are, whether you are slave or free, rich or poor, young or old, male or female, you will be judged impartially, not on the basis of of who you are, but on what you do. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each and every one of us will receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. God is an impartial judge, and he will judge us according to the works that we do. In a human court, a judge might be bribed. The judge can show favoritism or discrimination against the person who is being judged, but in the divine court, these things are not so. In the divine court, God will not be bribed or persuaded. In the divine court, he who knows the intentions of the heart will judge according to what he knows. And so such a consideration about the master will surely give us either comfort or perhaps just as well, caution. Consider the comfort in these these words. Knowing that Jesus is an impartial judge, there is good comfort for us, especially for the servant who serves under a cruel master. What What does it mean that the Lord is an impartial judge and how does this comfort him? Well, knowing that he's impartial means that the servant can serve his earthly master with joy, even through the toughest circumstances, because he knows that in the end, the Lord will bring perfect justice. The servant can also serve their earthly master fully engaged in the work because they know that the Lord rewards the faithful servant, even if the master on earth does not. And the faithful servant is also comforted by these instructions and truths that are found in Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
What comfort to the servant, to the slave who is serving under a cruel and harsh master. But now let's consider ever so briefly even the caution in these words. The fact that God is an impartial judge should cause us to not just think about how he will judge those outside, but how he will judge even us. We do know that judgment begins in the household of God. And so the slave who does not do his duty, when he disobeys his earthly master, when he cheats his master, when he returns evil for evil, he ought to know that though he might get away with these things here on earth, in the end, it will be settled in full in the courts of heaven. So the servant must know this about his master. He is an impartial judge who will pay back every single person according to what they have done. So in summary, we need to know Christ, he's our master. He's the one to whom we serve, and he is good. And not only that, we need to know that he rewards those who are faithful, and he punishes those who are wicked. So with these in mind, servants, listen. You are to serve your master in heaven in everything that you do. Understand now what, who I'm addressing is I'm talking to those who are servants. I'm talking to anyone who works. Anyone who labors in any way, shape, or form. Our text gives us sufficient instructions for how we can apply what the Lord is calling us to, regardless of the calling he has given us. I love how Luther says it. He talks about the dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. And so too, in any occupation that you find yourself in, you can work and serve the Lord and glorify him in everything you do. So if you are an employee in a workplace, this applies to you. If you do contract work for someone who hires you out, this applies to you. If you offer a service to customers who come into your, your business, this applies to you. If you're a mom who has that boss baby, this applies to you. Or kids who do chores around the house or for a neighbor, this applies to you. It applies to every single one of us. Listen to how the Lord calls, commands us to serve him. Going back to verse 22 now, he says this, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. I want us to understand this. Your heavenly master, the Lord Jesus Christ, calls you to obey your earthly masters. Yes, I know it's Paul who's writing, but make no mistake about it, Paul is writing words that are God breathed. And so when we hear Paul's instructions as they truly are, we should understand that this is instruction that comes from our heavenly master. And your master in heaven calls you to obey your earthly masters in everything. Now there are too many of us here, and I don't even know what a lot of you do, and so there's no way we could ever walk through all the different ways in which this applies to you. But you're wise, and I trust you know how these words might apply to you in your particular situation, but for the sake of illustration, let me share how I read myself into this text, how I understand what this is instructing me to do. You see, I too have instructions that have given, been given to me by earthly masters, so to speak, although I don't call them that. For me, those earthly masters are the elders here at Living Water Church. And the, the elders have given me a job description for what it looks like for me to 
serve Living Water Church. One such of those assignments is what I'm doing even here and now. I've been assigned to preach today. And not only that, but on Thursday, I've been told that I have an expense report that I am to have filled out and turned in by Thursday. So there's all kinds of parts of my job that I'm to fulfill that have been given to me by, again, these earthly masters, the elders, and, and these instructions I have received from them, and I am to do them. But as I do them and obey my earthly masters, understand what's going on, I am obeying not just earthly masters, but I am obeying my heavenly master who has commanded me to obey my earthly masters. And so when I obey the elders, I in fact obey Christ's call to me to obey everything that my master has commanded me to do here on earth. Now, to clarify, I don't want us to think that these instructions apply only to those masters who are just and fair. Certainly these words are hard words for slaves who are under the oppression of a cruel master. And yet, nonetheless, these instructions apply to them, and they apply to you no matter what situation you might be in. Even today, there are bosses who are just plain mean. But even in those situations, this applies to you, at least to some extent. Now, luckily you're not a slave, and you're wise, and if, if you're able to, you might be able to quit that job and find a new job, and if that's what's best for you, you could do that. You need to recognize you're not bound to work for men, but you are certainly not free to return evil for evil. But rather, we must entrust your, ourselves to our heavenly master who will reward those who are faithful and punish those who are wicked. And so Paul lays out this just clearly in this text. We have two masters. We have a master here on earth, those who employ us, or those who we might even work for in other places of life, other occupations. And we also have a master in heaven who calls us to obey those who, who are our masters on earth. And so we have two masters, and yet if you're a keen reader of the scripture, if you know the scriptures, well, you might kind of go, no, we don't. But Jesus told us, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So how is it possible for us to serve Jesus Christ as Lord, who is our master overall, and at the same time serve earthly masters? Especially when the, the words of the earthly masters clash against that of our heavenly master. Well, we need to understand this. Our text shows us instruction for this just as well. Our heavenly master calls us to have undivided service to him. We're going to move through this rather quickly, but, but I want to start right here in verse 22. Bond servants, he says, we, we know this already, obey in everything those who are your earthly master, but then he gives a way by which we're to do this obedience to these earthly masters. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Paul here is showing us how it is that we are to obey these earthly masters, and he has four instructions for us, two that are positive, two that are negative, two and what's the things we're to not do, and two things that we are to do. So two ways not to obey our masters. He says, we are not to do this by way of eye service in our obedience. That is, we don't just obey when the master is looking. We're not just obeying on a surface level. 
That's what he means by eye service. And furthermore, our obedience is not just to be done in order to earn the approval of man as people pleasers. Yes, we are to obey our earthly masters, but we obey them not in order to please them, but in order to please God. So kids, have you ever done this when you're doing the dishes perhaps and you, you did the dishes and your mom didn't see it so you said, hey mom, I did the dishes. Hoping she recognizes you for it. Or husbands, have you done the same? It's because you just want credit for doing what you were otherwise called to do by God. So don't do it that way. Paul, he just took out two of the primary things that motivate us to, to work. Because we love to be seen by others. We love the praise of men. But these are fleshly motives and not godly desires. So in opposition to these, he gives us two positive ways in which we're to obey our earthly masters. And there seems to be a correlation with these latter, latter two with the first two. First, he, he says in the second half, we're to serve and obey with sincere hearts as opposed to by way of eye service. Understand, this kind of obedience, it goes way deeper than just wanting them to see what we're doing. But we actually do it from the heart. And there is no deceit in sincerity. And furthermore, while we're not to do so as a way to earn the approval of men, we obey earthly masters while, he says, fearing the Lord. And so we serve the Lord knowing that the Lord is our master who will pay us accordingly. And being aware of this will produce in us a godly fear, which is the beginning of wisdom. So when earthly masters tell you to cut corners and cheat, guess what? You could say, actually, I fear God more than man. The way the apostle said so in Acts 5. Or when you're called to do something and you want the approval of men and you're fighting against the flesh, you will say with Paul in Galatians 1.10, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Understand, you cannot serve two masters. The Lord Jesus Christ is your only master. And the only reason you need to obey your earthly masters is because the master of all masters has called you to do so. And if that wasn't clear enough already, look at Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It makes it just abundantly clear. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now understand now there's one more way that he also calls us to work, and it's found at the very beginning of verse 23. He says, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord so yeah, we're to, we're to obey our earthly masters, and yet all the same, we're to give all our undivided service to the Lord, and in that work, our master calls us to work hard. We see this just all over the place in the scriptures. Let me just read at least one example of it, even in our own book here in Colossians. You'll remember it if you've been following with us closely through this letter. Jesus, or excuse me, Paul said this. He said, Jesus Christ, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And now listen to the work of Paul. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
We might be thinking, well, Paul just took away all the motivation I had to work hard. Eye service, people pleasing, getting the approval of man. Oh, but no, he didn't take away all the, the fuel that should drive us to work so hard. In fact, he has given us that which should drive us hardest of all, knowing that we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we serve him, we can be sure of this. Verse 24, we will receive the inheritance as our reward because we are serving the Lord Christ. Yes, we are saved by grace. But the apostle of grace himself taught us that we are also to work hard unto the Lord. This is called the Protestant work ethic or the Puritan work ethic you might have heard. And you can just take a look at history and look at any, not any, but many figures in Christian history. And you can see men and women who served the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They loved him in all that they did. So servants, serve the Lord. Serve your heavenly master in everything. And now, ever so briefly, let me turn our attention to the masters. Finally, point number three. Masters, you need to know this. Masters, know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, previously, I was addressing those who worked. And now I'm addressing those who are in charge over those who work. Well, some of us would go, well, I, that's not me. I'm not the master. I'm certainly not the boss. I think this applies to us in other ways, too. Even if you're not the boss, I'm sure most of us have probably hired out someone for work at one time or another. Have you ever paid someone for their service? Then you should see yourself in this text as well. And we've seen already now four dedicated verses that are given to servants, and now just one verse given to these masters. But that's not exactly true, is it? Because... Here in four one, he, he applies something to the masters that he's already applied to the servants. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. And here it is, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In other words, verses 23 through 25, while it was applied to the servants, we could see just as well, applies all the same to the masters who served their master who was in heaven. So three brief points for those of you who might be considered masters in one way, shape, or another. Know this. You are not the master. Those of you who call yourself master. You are not the master. A master, sure. One who's in charge, one who's a boss, one who has people who are under your authority. But understand, there is one who has authority even over you. 1 Timothy 6 15 through 16 says, Jesus Christ is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Masters, you are not the master, but Christ is. And furthermore, you need to know this about your master just as the servants need to know it too. Know this, masters, that your heavenly master is just. Rewarding those who are faithful and punishing those who are wicked. To those masters, to those who are in a position of authority, to those who think they are great and even put themselves above God, just read the book of Exodus of the king who thought he was 
over and above God, that Pharaoh who showed injustice towards Israel. Read and understand that God heard the cries of his people. And let Pharaoh serve an example and a warning to those masters who do not fear the Lord. Masters, know that you are not the master. Masters, know that your heavenly master is just. And finally, since your master is just, treat your servants with justice. Paul says it this way, Colossians 4.1, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So if you pay someone to work, if you hire someone, or if there's someone even under your watch, do not muzzle the ox as it treads out the grain as, as we see the scriptures clearly give instructions for. But you are to f- pay them according to the work that they do. You are to be just and fair in all your business affairs. So understand, Jesus is the master. Jesus Christ is Lord we are his servants. At the very beginning of the sermon, I said that each and every one of us is a slave. And this is true. Those who are Christians, I hope, see at least by the end of this text, this to be especially true, that we are slaves of Christ. And this is a good thing, because he is a good and just master. But there might be some here who think they're the exception to what I've said. Some who refuse to bow the knee to Jesus and confess that he, in fact, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are some who would rather be free from Christ than to submit to him as king. Like Adam and Eve before, you wish to put yourself as equals or even greaters than God. And you say, I'm free. Don't call me a slave. I'm free. Well, if that's you, you need to understand this this morning as well. You might think you're free, but you are not. You are enslaved, not to Christ, but to sin and to the God of this world, the devil. And you need to understand this about your master. He gives you the guise of freedom. He he makes makes you feel like you're free because you get to do what you want. But understand, you are enslaved to that sin, and that sin is not kind like Christ, that sin does not offer you no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears or, or pleasures forevermore. But no, instead, your master seeks to kill you. And so hear this today. Christ is offering even you something better. He offers you freedom from sin. Paul says it in Romans six twenty-two and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is good to have Jesus Christ as our master. Amen. May we submit to him in every area of our life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have given us Christ to set us free from the tyranny of Satan. We thank you that in Jesus Christ we have a kind king, a kind master, one who is humble, gentle, and lowly. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see this so we might gladly submit ourselves to him in everything, whether we are servants or masters. Lord, help us to serve Christ. 
Lord, you are King, and you are Lord, and you alone deserve all glory. So we give it to you here and now. In Jesus' name, amen.